0: The following resource is from LMPC.org, and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at LMPC.org slash give. A reading from Isaiah chapter 63, verses 9 through 7, 7 through 19. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he said, surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely. And he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Then he remembered the days of old of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go to the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name, who led them through the depths? Like a horse in the desert, he did not stumble. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. Look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts and your compassion are held back from me. For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us, and Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our Father, our Redeemer from of old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wonder from your ways and harden our heart so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like th- those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are not called by your name. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Please be seated.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Aaron. It's good to be with you and open the word together this morning. Let me pray for us and we'll dive right in. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us. Would you please. Grant us your spirit now as we look at it. I ask, Father, you would give us eyes to see, hearts to understand, and receive it with wonder. I pray that because of our time together, we would look, think, and love more like you do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, so I came across a story in the Tampa Bay News recently of Larry Whipple. Larry Whipple was on vacation. He was done. I'm done thinking hard. I'm done trying hard. I'm done working hard. I am going to the beach. I'm going to get intoxicated, and I'm going to go to sleep. So Larry Whipple went to Tampa Bay Beach, and he overindulged, faithful to his plan, and he got his pool flowed out, and he pushed it out into the shallow waters, laid back, and in the warm sun, Larry, the, the, the rolling waves, the breeze, Larry passed out. Larry went to sleep, and that southwesterly wind, and that tide slowly pulled Larry out a little deeper, a little further, a little further. I don't know if there were no lifeguards on the beach that day. I don't know if everybody else was at work, or they said, I'm done trying to. You just go, Larry. They let Larry go until he disappeared over the horizon. Larry drifted over a mile into the Gulf of Mexico. And what the Coast Guard said was a miracle. Two guys coming back from a fishing trip were driving along and noticed way off in the distance what they thought was debris floating in the water. And they're like, ah, let's let's just go see what it is. On a whim, they turn, they drive their boat over and find Larry Whipple. They thought he was dead. They're blowing the boat horn. They're screaming at him, hey, buddy, motionless, in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. They call the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard comes and shakes him back into consciousness. (gasps) Imagine what Larry thought (laughs) as he woke up on a pool float in the middle of no shore in sight. How did I get here? They said he had no idea where he was. How he got there, how long he had been there. Um, Larry was taken to the hospital, treated. He's just fine now from what I hear. Um, People always ask about that later. Uh, But can you imagine if no one had seen him and he just woke up at some point in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico? Where am I? How did I get here? Where do I even go to get back to where I need to be? Well, the story of God's people, I mean, you may have heard many stories of people stranded at sea. Without an anchor, they drift tens, hundreds, thousands of miles from where they're intended. Without effort, without intention. The, the danger of drifting is like it takes zero effort. You just got to fall asleep. And you are so far from where you intended to be. And the story of God's people involves a lot of drifting, A lot of wandering away from the Lord. It's it's written in our hymnody, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. And sometimes it'd be for 20 years or 40 years or hundreds of years. But God would initiate a relationship with them. He would rescue them. He said, I'm gonna be your God. He shakes them back into consciousness. I will be, you will be my people. And they obey with joy, with thankfulness, with obedience. But then they begin to forget they begin to drift they begin to follow the evil desires of the heart and it always it always ends in the breakdown of self right the breakdown of their families their community their nation and every time every single time they're left asking how did we get here how did we get here have you ever been at the beach and you're, you're playing in the waves you're riding them in or you're just talking with friends out there and then after a while you look back to shore and your parents are gone the tent's gone. You're like, where did, where did it go? And then you get out of the beach. You realize you've drifted a quarter mile, a half mile down the beach. You do that awkward walk, dra- you know, dragging the boogie board back all the way. And, and you get back. Do you walk up to your parents and be like, hey, where did you guys go? No. They didn't leave you. You drifted away. We don't drift towards intimacy with the Lord. We're always drifting away from him this morning as we think about renewal, like what is renewal? In one sense, it's really turning back. It's returning. It's another way of saying to come back to right relationship with God, to turn back to human flourishing, the way that he made us. So Isaiah is writing to the people of God in a time where they've moved really far from an intimate relationship with the Lord. And they they didn't just drift. They were all paddling in sequence. Row, row. they're running from the Lord at times. We know better. We are done. What we look at the morning, what we're looking at this morning is perfect for a people who have either drifted, who have run away, who have rebelled, or maybe, maybe you're in a time of nearness to the Lord, And you're like, "I don't ever want to go back to living my life without him." Wherever you are this morning, this passage has really powerful resources for us to be renewed in our hearts, in our church in our home. In our community, and to protect us from the danger of drifting. So here's where we're going. We're saying, Isaiah teaches that true renewal, the renewal of our hearts, the renewal of our church, is going to come, if you look at your, your outline, it says, true renewal will come when we recount God's covenant love and mercy and salvation. Two, when we lament our rebellion and embrace the kindness of God's discipline to bring us to repentance. Or three, Or then three, cling to his promises and cry out for his mercy in our failure. So, maybe another way to put it renewal comes when we remember what God's done. And renewal comes when we remember what we've done without God. And renewal comes when we remember God's promises to us, his mercy, as he moved towards us. So, let's look at that first one remember God's covenant love, recount his love. So, I don't know where each of you are this morning. I I know you're here, but where are you with the Lord? You may feel nearness to Him, or you may feel like you are so far in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, you don't know which way to swim to get back. You may feel like you have drifted further than you ever thought possible. But the good news is, that can all change right now. This moment, this morning, you can return to the Lord to the fullness of what he is, the blessing of his kingdom and what he made us to be. And Isaiah says the first step in doing that is to remember God's covenant love. Stop moving. Wake up. Pick your head up. Move, remove distraction. Remember the greatest force this world has ever seen. That's the covenant love of God for you. It's for you. Isaiah writes, verse 7, I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel that he has granted them, according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Do you hear the wonder? There's not words enough for him to say it. So Ray Ortland writes this. He says, the assurance of God's love for you is the oxygen of our souls. It keeps us alive, stabilizing us again and again, all the way. He says, God chose us. The passage outlines, he became our savior. He has shared in our afflictions. He's given us his presence. He's redeemed us and carried us every step of the way. The highest love is the steadfast love of God for a people who don't deserve it. And that is his love for us. So the author of Hebrews says in chapter two, therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. So Mike Econnelly, in in his devotional called The Wittenberg Door, uses this illustration. He says, I live in a small rural community. There are lots of cattle ranches around here. And every once in a while, a cow wanders off and gets lost. Ask a rancher how a cow gets lost, and chances are he'll reply like this. Well, the cow starts nibbling on a tuft of green grass, and when it finishes, it looks ahead to the next tuft of green grass and starts nibbling on that one. Then it nibbles on a tuft of grass right next to a hole in the fence. Then it sees another tuft of green grass on the other side of the fence. So it nibbles on that one and then goes on to the next tuft, and the next thing you know... The cow has nibbled itself into being lost. He says, Americans are in the process of nibbling their way to lostness. We keep moving from one tuft of activity to another, never noticing how far we've gone from home or how far away from the truth we've managed to end up. So we are most in danger. When we stop paying attention to what has the imagination of our minds, what holds the full measure of our intellect and our affections, what is winning the battle for our attention? So even as I was writing uh, this part of the sermon this week, I I felt the weight of this. I'm thinking like, okay... How do we, how do we, why do we lose attention to the, the God of the universe created us and made us and gave us his word and we get to be part of, like, what's going on? And I just realized, like, my kids have been making fun of me lately. I'm a bit of a hypocrite. Apparently, your family gets to see that the best. Uh, Apparently, I used to always make fun of people and their Apple watches and I'd be at lunch and I'd come home and be like, yeah, they're sitting there looking at me and I see it lighting up. And they're trying to smile and not look down, and I can see it. So I just keep talking as long as I can. I won't break eye contact for that moment where they can check it. And I can see them I'm like, yeah, I'm listening. Please. And they're kind of like, oh, what's over there? No, nothing, right? And I was like, oh, it drives me crazy. It's just lighting up. I can't focus. They're not listening to me. Just no one's present anymore in conversation. Well, then I got a, a fancy new running watch, right? Which apparently links to my phone and every notification possible, And I know that you can adjust that, I've learned now. But even as I was writing this week, if I don't put it on Do Not Disturb every morning, I'm just assaulted all day long. So I'm writing this sermon like, why is it so hard to pay? Ooh, Saucony has 50% off sale today. That's pretty. (laughs) What's going on? It's so important. How can we? Ah, Look at that, man. That's hilarious, you know? And I was like, okay. So I turn it off. You know, I throw my watch across the room, my phone across the room. They're all off. I go to Bible Gateway and I'm like doing my, my Bible search and just compiling all these texts together. And like all these ads start covering the screen halfway. And I'm like trying to zoom in on the Bible verse in the middle. And it's like everything I love. Like, oh, look at these new shoes. Look at this race you can be part of. And I'm like, no, it's the Bible. And I'm like, no wonder we can't pay attention. Not only are our hearts prone to wander... That's just hard enough anyway to fix our minds on what's good and true. We are under assault. Billions of dollars is being spent to get in front of your face, to have something attached to you, to tell you, come look at our stuff and we know what you like, we're studying you. And how in the world do we direct our minds to what is good and holy? Why is it so hard? Attending our minds to the truth about God's love for us can direct the course of our lives, but it takes now more than ever intention. It takes care and thought and resting in the work of Christ. It, you'll find it's the most freeing thing that we can do in the midst of all this. Stopping to rest in the assurance of God's love to renew the soul, to quiet the longing for approval, to quiet the fear of other people, the things that overwhelm Like the love of God destroys those attempts to control the uncontrollable. It is the most amazing thing. What, What a gift to stop and remember that the king of the universe has said, you're my daughter. You are my son. All that I have is yours. I have committed all that I am in power and resource to the security of your future. There's such power in that. Well, about a week ago, um, I was watching the Ironman World Championship down in Kona, Hawaii, and Chelsea Sadaro is an American female triathlete. She actually uh, gave birth to her first child about 18 months ago, and now she's racing in the Ironman World Championship, and she won the event—the first American woman to win in over 25 years. Does um, so that mean? Do you know how she did it? She swam almost two and a half miles. She rode 112 miles at a blistering pace on the bike. She jumps off the bike and she ran a marathon, 26.2 miles at a six minute, 29 second pace. It was unbelievable. It was one minute away from the fastest run split in history. But what was amazing about how she did that, she slowed down and walked through almost every aid station, which is about every mile. She's running, and she slows down, and she pours freezing cold water to renew her core temperature, and she, she grabs all her nutrition, and her fluids she drinks, and as many things she can get in to get her electrolyte balance renewed and back in place. And then she, she's walking slowly through the end, and then she picks her pace back up and takes off. And they're like, how could you do that? You're being chased down by the best runners in the world. How can you stop and slow down in the midst of that? And she says, I just have to keep reminding myself, if I do not attend to my needs, I will blow up. I won't make it. And by slowing down and stopping, she won the Ironman World Championship. Slow down, renew. Remember the steadfast love of the Lord, his great goodness and compassion, and out of that strength we run. So, real quick, let's look at secondly, what we need to do, the second thing we're called to do is to lament. Lament our rebellion and embrace the kindness of God's discipline. Okay, so one of my fears this morning and using words like drifting and wandering is it sounds fairly passive, um, and it sounds like just something that happens to you, Um, But also there's a very active part in in departing from the Lord. You look at verse 10, he says, But they rebelled. They grieved his Holy Spirit. In their frantic, distracted busyness and forgetfulness, they grieved the Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. So when we drift... And when we wander, we don't just drift from the Lord. We actually drift into the enemy camp. When we live for self, when we chase evil desire, when we live for anything other than the Lord, we're making God an enemy. If we're not for him, we're against him. So Ray Ortland says it wasn't the Assyrians or the Babylonians that defeated the Israelites. But they defeated themselves by saying no to God. It was the people of God Isaiah blames for their current situation. Nobody else. They grieved the Holy Spirit. They said to the Lord, not your will but ours be done. They made an enemy out of their Savior. Well, true renewal happens when we stop and we take stock of where we are and we truly lament about how far we've gone from God and what caused us to be there. Like how far our unbelief, our distrust, our sin have taken us. Lament has to involve confession. How did I get here? What did I trust? What, did I, what lie was I believing that got me here? Like true renewal happens when we stop and say, Lord, how did I get to this place? What lie have I trusted? And look what happens though in our heart as we do that. As Isaiah mourns and he looks how far they've gone, how far unbelief, distrust, and sin have taken them, Isaiah's heart begins to long for the presence of God. As he mourns their rebellion, he begins to long for his presence. And so he calls out over and over for this passage. You look through it, he says, where is he? You ever ask that? Where is God? He says, where is he? Where is he now? But he's not doing this accusatorily as if God had left them. But he's lamenting and longing for the presence of God to return. And he looks back through verses 11 through 14. He said, he remembers the days of old, it says. So remember how God came to us people when they were far off. I Remember how God rescued them before. Lord, you put your Holy Spirit in the midst of them. You led them by your glorious arm. You went before them. You divided the waters. Your spirit gave them rest. He realized that for true renewal to happen, he can't just turn the pool float around and start paddling. Like that's not how it happens. We can't do it. We need an unmistakable divine intervention. We need a rescue. And so remembering the covenant love and mercy of God, Realizing and lamenting his rebellion, the Israelites say, Our hope is in your mercy. No longer it's in ourselves. It's not in our power to stay on course, to get back on track. They place their hope solely in the Holy Spirit to bring true renewal to them. So this makes me ask what do I need to own about my relationship with the Lord? What do I need to own about my current condition? Where am I with God? What do you need to confess to the Lord about where you are with him? But I love how it turns and he begins to ask the question as we wrestle through that, it says, what do you long to see the Lord do now? What do you long to see God do in your heart, in your home, in this church What have you heard of God doing in the past that you long to see him do now in this present moment? As you lament, as longing grows within you, that's how God begins to shape us in the present. And that's how he starts his work of renewal in our hearts. So this passage ends with Isaiah clinging to the covenant promises of God, crying out to him for mercy. Verse 15, he he writes, I want to see I want to see the might, the power, the zeal of the Lord unleashed without restraint. What would that even look like? It says, please, Lord, don't withhold your tenderness and compassion another day because of our rebellion and grieving. This is a model lament and longing for those in exile. It looks at God's faithfulness. It laments honestly the results of rebellion, and and this longing begins to occur, occur. So look at this interesting statement in verse 16. He says, Though we are children of Abraham, children of Israel, we have drifted so far from the Lord that if Abraham and Israel were to show up right now and return to the people of God, we would be unrecognizable. That's what he says. And what that means is he's longing to be what God intended them to be. He says, I want us to be the light of, in the middle of the nations, a kingdom of love and laughter that draws people to him. So what a question that raises for us this morning. If the disciples were to show up today, would they recognize the church? As you hear that question, what immediately comes to your mind? Oh, probably, probably wouldn't like that or that or that. And I mean, my mind was flooded immediately. I was like, "Well, that's that's the way that's you know, dismiss or, or is it repentance? Would they even like? How do we return what you intended us to be, Lord? That's where we want to be. What an important question to consider. Well, as we close, I want to invite you to consider our Lord Jesus. Remember after a week after entering the streets of Jerusalem to Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. They're laying their cloaks for him to walk on. They're putting palm branches down. They're dancing and cheering and worshiping. It's not even a week. Days later, he is utterly alone. Abandoned. He must feel so far at that moment. He's far from his father. He's far from home, and he's, he's come to his own, and his own received him not. And now he weeps in the garden while his disciples fall asleep. And he says, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. And he goes to the cross, and he carries our sin. And he says, I am doing this because I'm going to prepare a place for you. A people prone to wander, prone to leave the God that you love. I'm going ahead and I'm sending you my spirit. And what I am doing means that you're not an enemy to me anymore. Though you drift, though you wander, and you will, I'm sending my spirit. And now you're my my family. What I have done has made you my family. You are my daughter, you are my son. No matter how far you run, I will leave the 99 and come find, come find you. When you return to me, I will kill the fatted calf and throw a feast. No longer an enemy, but a child of the king. That is amazing to me because of the work of Jesus, your family now. You cry out to a loving father, no longer an enemy, a father who loves to give good gifts to his children. So I invite us this morning run to him. Cling to the work of Christ finished for you. Let's pray. Father, we ask right now as you have invited us to do. Would you please renew us? Would you renew our hearts? Would you renew our faith? Would you renew this church? Would you renew our wonder? our love, our rest in the gospel. We remember so vividly when you first allowed us to see your grace. We remember how you came and found us and filled our lives with your light. And Father, we lament, we grieve how far we have drifted or how far we have run. And we confess and we mourn, distracted, Frantic, busy lives that have led to neglect and even distrust of our relationship with you. Father, we long, like Isaiah, to see the might, the power, the zeal of the Lord unleashed without restraint. Lord, it is with absolute, undeserving humility that we ask you would remember your covenant promises to us and give us your presence once again because of your son Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.